Uh, Let's finish up our series this morning on winning the war in your mind. This is lesson eight. And then next week, um, I really hope you'll you'll be here for that. We're going to have like an addendum lesson that kind of ties into the end of this one about how to pray the Bible, how to pray scripture. I don't know if you've noticed this, that really a lot of the prayers that the apostles offer, specifically in the book of Acts, are based on scripture. They were praying scripture. The book of Psalms is a prayer book or a song book or a hymn book. And so I think that there's, there's something that's lost maybe on modern Christianity of praying the scripture. And we'll talk a little bit more about that next week. I think it might be something that could really help you with a lot of maybe the common issues in prayer life. Um, what do I say? I feel like I'm saying the same things. Is God even going to answer this prayer? Why am I even praying it if I don't know if God's going to answer it? Praying scripture fixes a lot of those things. And so I want to encourage you to be here next week. And then we're going to start a new series called Storyline. And what we're going to do in that series is connect uh, a lot of themes that bridge the Old Testament and the New Testament and hopefully see that our Bible is one big epic story. And my, my idea there is that I want to help you with your own personal scripture reading so that when you're reading through the Old Testament and you come across different concepts like covenant and kingship and the land of Israel and things like that, that you understand what that really, how that matters to you as a New Testament Christian. Because I don't know about you, sometimes I read that and I'm like, this, I'll just read the New Testament. You know what I mean? So I think that'll really help you with your personal Bible reading and it'll be a fun study to help us really appreciate our Bibles a little bit better. Okay, so last week in our series, uh, we talked about the power of prayer. Before that, we talked about how God's presence is the best remedy for our anxiety, right? There's the panic button, right? Not the easy button like Sables, but the panic button that we all push. And the problem is, is that we push that panic button a lot, not just with physical danger, but stresses and anxieties. And if we forget God is there, then the real problem is we won't talk to him right? And we talked about that last week. See if you can help me fill in this statement that we said. We covered a lot last week. If it's big enough to worry about, then it's big enough to what? Pray about, right? If it's big enough to worry about, it's big enough to pray about. Try this one. If it's on your mind, then it's on God's heart, right? In my notes, I put on accident, if it's on your mind, it's on your heart. Well, yeah, that doesn't encourage anybody, does it? (laughs) But it's on God's heart, right? We aren't supposed to have anxiety about anything, but in everything, we should have prayer and supplication with thanksgiving to God. This morning, we're going to talk about something that is kind of uh, the twin brother of prayer, and it's praise. It's praise. Now, let's do a little mental exercise. I want you in your mind to to think of something praiseworthy. Something that when you think about it, it declares the glory of God. It shows you God's handiwork. When you see it, you want to shout hallelujah and sing praise to God. You thought of something? Got in your mind? Give me a head nod. Got in your mind? Some of you are tuned out. All right, we'll move on without you. But I'll show you what gives me Uh, the desire to praise God. None of you are reacting the same. None of you are shouting hallelujah. Telescope, that's what it is. You don't don't believe me? You don't like it? I'm kidding. 
You know, telescopes aren't really beautiful to look at, are they? I mean, they're, uh, it's kind of cool, big piece of glass. Telescopes, we don't look at them, right? They're, no one buys them for them to be looked at, right? We buy them to look through them, right? Because when you look through a telescope, then beauty shows up. The moon, for instance, that you might ignore, looks just impeccable in its detail. Created on the fourth day of creation, one of God's pieces of handiwork. There's so many other things. We could have really fancy binoculars and uh, some of you hunters and maybe look out and, and see God's creation that way. And here's the truth. If you and I want to win the war in our mind, what we're going to talk about today is that in a similar way to that telescope, we have to learn to look through our circumstances and not at them. We have to learn to look through them, not at them. I don't know about you, but when I'm going through difficulty, one of the things that that I struggle with is it's so easy to look at my circumstance. It's just there. It's like the telescope. It's a completely useless thing sitting in the corner of my life. Not really beautiful. (laughs) In many ways, quite ugly, right? You can't move away from the drama that you're seeing at work or in family life. You can't stop thinking about what they did to you. You're looking at it. You may think, what is there besides this? There's no other way to look at it. I'm looking at the telescope, Pastor Mike. Look at it. I'm looking at it. All I see is a telescope. You're seeing this and not this right? Our, our lesson this morning is how to look at things that look like this and start seeing something like this. To see the beauty through our circumstances, not by just looking at them. We need to learn the discipline of looking through, not at, okay? That's what praise is. Praise is the discipline of looking through and not Now, let me give you a definition of praise. Here's the thought. Praise is responding to something or someone we delight in. Praise is responding to something or someone we delight in. Now, humans, I I believe, and, and I think the Bible reinforces this, we are created to praise, It's in our DNA. Some of y'all, you look like you've not praised a day in your life, but we're all created. There is joy that God gives us through some things. Now, let me me ask you this. What are some things that cause people to praise? To set aside the spiritual, what are some things that get us to praise? Because praise isn't just spiritual, right? What are some things that invoke praise? I'll start you off. My wife made some cinnamon sugar bread. I was praising, y'all. I was singing songs, the Psalms of Ascent, really, as I marched up to the kitchen to partake of that bread. Right, that, that good, good meal. What are some other things that cause us to praise in life, to, to rejoice? Birth of a baby. I get all sentimental on us, Robert. What else? I'll, huh? Yeah. Hallelujah. What else? A yawn? No, not a yawn, a praise. What, what, what causes us to praise? Some things that, 
get you to rejoice. What, faith? Engagement. All right, I thought you were going to say a nap. Faith loves naps. And tacos, right? Tacos. You were going to say something, Michael? Children, yeah. A thousand different ways, right? What are some other things that cause us to praise? Faith, you got another one? Graduation. You got a little while to go. I'm sorry. What else? What else? What are some things that evoke rejoicing or praise in our life? They don't have to be super spiritual or... All the green. Yes. Yes. Unless you're on the team ministry. And then you're like, no, I got to mow more. I got to dump that mower bag more. Right? What else? One more. Someone who hasn't spoken. Someone getting saved. Yep. You know, I think for, for all of us, there are some kinds of praise that come easy or naturally. Right? For, for some of you, it's easy to praise or rejoice in a sports game, right? I'm not, I'm not demeaning that. Um, for some of you, it's easy to praise or rejoice uh, in relation to a hobby that you have. But for whatever reason, there's one kind of praise that doesn't come easy to us, and it's giving praise directly to God. I don't know about you. Like, Adam, you, you mentioned the race thing. Financial victories, I found myself before rejoicing with my wife about something, but never to someone. I'm so glad I got a raise is very different than God, thank you for giving me a raise, right? Birth of a baby, post on Facebook, woo, got another kid, right? But that's different that type of rejoicing is different. It's horizontal. It's different than giving praise directly to God. Am I the only one that struggles with that? No, right? We, we all struggle with that. And here's why. Here's why. Because there's this thing called our sin nature. We have a hard time praising God because here's what happens. We easily believe lies. We've talked about that a lot in our series, that Satan's primary weapon in winning the war in our mind is lies. There are a lot of lies that take our mind off of God. Not just with praise, but in other things. Here's some. I don't have time to read my Bible. I, I've, I've felt like this, I, I've believed this lie before. It's, it feels weird to praise directly to God, to worship him directly, to talk to him directly. I believe this lie. I can never do justice to God's greatness in my praise, so why even try? Or, um, it's not my personality to praise. Pastor Mike, I'm not a big emotional person. You may be, I'm not. That's a lie. I mean, we all, we all get excited about something. Now, not all of us show our excitement in the same ways. I'll be honest, if I'm in a sports game, I'm not really the guy who's like painting my face and you know, shouting half the time. It's just too much work. You know what I mean? It's just too much work. I mean, when there's a good play, you know, a really, really, really good play, I might like, woo. But most of the time I'm like, that's how I am. You might be surprised by that. It, it, listen, your personality has nothing to do with it. You were created to praise God. It's the residual sin within us that, that tempts us not to praise him. So why, this is why for the next few minutes, I want to tell you the benefits of praise. The benefits of praise. Here's the first thought. Praising God changes your perspective. 
It changes your perspective. Y'all, I think, I think I've been reading through the book of Exodus and I was at Exodus like 15 through 20-ish. It's these wilderness incidents where it's like one grumbling after another with the children of Israel. Y'all familiar with that, right? They're, they're complaining about water and then they're complaining about food and then they complain about food again and then they complain about water again and they're like, oh God, you're, you brought us out here to die. And then God like miraculously proves he what, didn't bring them out there to die. And then they find something else to complain about. I'm gonna be honest with you. I think a lot of us can identify with that. Everything could be pretty good, but we have a way, don't we, of finding something to complain about. You know, I'm so bad about that. I'll just be honest with you. I'm so glad my wife's not here so she could be shaking her head or whatever. Uh, someone, someone said that, uh, one of my friends told me this. They said, Mike, you're the type of person that could walk into a five-star restaurant, have the best meal on planet Earth and find something to be critical about. Yeah, it could be true. I'll be honest about that. And I don't think that's just me. I think all of us have a tendency to be just wired to see the negative. Right? I, I want to let you know that that is not how God made you. That, that is not a function of your spirituality. If you always look at somebody and find the negative, and you always look at a building and find the negative, and you always look at a program and find the negative, and you always look at a situation and find the negative, that's not how God wants you to think or live. Right? God wants us to approach life with gratitude. And so what I mean by praising God changes your perspective. For some of us, we say, no, 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 I'm wired that way. That's my personality. That's how I grew up. That's how my mom and dad were. And so that's what I do. But here's what's amazing. Um, we, we talked about this fellow, Dr. Newberg, last week. He's a brain scientist. And he, they, they've done, believe it or not, someone has money to conduct these experiments. They conduct an experiment on what happens when somebody um, praises and worships God regularly. They scan your brain. And here's what they found that praising and worshiping God leads to quantifiable changes in your brain volume. You can grow your brain by praising God. Your metabolism, try that for a weight loss strategy. Just praise God a little bit more. Uh, it, it changes the, the cingulate cortex, not the prefrontal cortex, the cingulate one. And, and what happens is when that increases in volume, that cingulate cortex Here's what happens. This is what changes. It, it gives you more of a capacity for compassionate thinking and feeling. It changes your perspective. So basically, the more you praise, the more empathetic and compassionate you are. It changes your perspective. Now, I mean, I'm not trying to take away from Dr. Newberg. I mean, he's probably a pretty smart guy, and I imagine maybe he's a Christian if he cares about doing these type of tests. But I'll just be honest, God had that figured out a long, long, long time ago when he wrote the book of Psalms. What, what I want you to see is that the Psalms teach us that praise changes our perspective. This is embedded in the fabric of so many Psalms so many Psalms have this two-panel thing going on. That in the first part of the Psalm, it's the psalmist being realistic about his complaint to God, and then it ends with him praising God. And sometimes after he praises God, he sees a different perspective. Many Psalms are written this way. 
I want to give you a couple of examples. And, and that, that might help you understand why the psalmists often talk to themselves and tell themselves to praise God. I'll, I'll show you some examples here in a minute. But I, I, first, before we get there, I want you to understand that this is not minor league uh, problems that these people are facing, okay? I'm just giving you a brief list of how the backdrop of many of the Psalms, uh, and I mean many, it's things like this. Enemies are attacking you. And I don't mean the enemies that, that say mean things to you or don't give you your way. I'm talking about like people who want to kill you. That's the backdrop. Feeling forgotten by God. Being falsely accused. On the run from, for your life. Spotty cell phone coverage. I'm just kidding. That's not in there. But in the midst of those honest confessions, the psalmist praises God. And I think that we have something to learn because a lot of us, we are, we are probably, all of us in this room, good at, the, at facing the reality of our problems. That could be a problem too if you, don't, if you don't properly assign the proper weight to your issues. If you act like everything's okay, that's, that's not a good way to respond to life. That's bad. So I think all of us, we recognize the, the reality of our issues, but we rarely take that turn towards praise. But the psalmist shows us to do that. And frankly, the psalmist shows us that sometimes we have to almost force ourselves to. Listen to Psalm 42.5. The psalmist is talking to himself. Some of you talk to yourself, maybe you might feel better about it now. He says, why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why art thou disquieted in me? He's preaching to himself. Hope thou in God. For I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. Just a few verses later, the psalmist says, yet the Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime. And in the night, his song shall be with me and my prayer unto the God of my life. Do you see a difference? Let's go back. He's cast down, disquieted. There's restlessness. And now he's saying, God is commanding his loving kindness to me. He's going to be with me even in the night when I feel alone, right? What was the turning point? It was his praise. Psalm 103 has the same dynamic. He's preaching himself, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. The Lord hath prepared his throne in the heavens and the, his kingdom ruleth over all. Bless the Lord, ye his angels, that excel in strength, that do his commandments, hearkening unto the voice of his word. Bless the Lord. See how he's preaching to himself and everybody, all ye his hosts, ye ministers of his, that do his pleasure. Bless the Lord, all his works and all the places of dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. The psalmist teaches us that we have to be intentional about looking through and not at. Are you catching that? That this doesn't happen by accident. And that reflecting on the pain of your situation is not enough. It's not enough. At some point, you and I have to turn toward praise. And what I love about the Psalms is this, is, is that the psalmist teaches us that we can praise God in a way that's not detached from reality, okay? 
Because a lot of us, when we hear that praising God thing in our difficulty, we're like, that's not realistic. Because this is not a good thing, right? I'm going through tragedy. But what I think the psalmist is showing us is that we can, we can have praise that is both honest about our circumstances and realistic about who God is. I'm going to say that again. We can praise God in a way that is honest about our circumstances, but also realistic about who God is. The psalmist doesn't praise God because he ignored his circumstances. He praises God by honestly looking through the circumstances to the God of Israel. We look through our circumstances and we look to God. Some people will accuse God of being a God that needs praise. Like he's some sort of baby that needs affirmation. But here's the truth. God doesn't need us to praise him. We need to praise him. God doesn't need our praise. He delights in it, but he don't need it. You need to praise. God tells you to praise because it's good for you. It's good for me. So let's look at a model of praise. And this is one of the most beautiful stories about praise in the Bible. And, and I, want, I want you to see a way that you can look through and not at. Write this down. It's on your handout. Look at the who, not the what. How do we praise? How do we look through our circumstances? We look at the who, not the what. And Acts shows us this. But before we get there, I want you to see Paul's command in Philippians 4, 5. Well, that's the wrong reference. Philippians 4, 5. I'm going to turn there. It has to do with rejoicing. That's how I know it's a wrong reference. Philippians 4. It's 4-4. I wrote the reference down. Rejoice. You know what the next three words are? In the Lord. Not rejoice in your circumstances. That's why Paul could say rejoice in the Lord always or always. Because we can't rejoice in our circumstances always, can we? But Paul says you can rejoice in the Lord always. And again, if you didn't hear it the first time, I say rejoice. I I might start using that as a pastoral like go-to. Life is hard, rejoice in the Lord. Life is hard, again, rejoice in the Lord. That's kind of what Paul is saying to people who are going through difficulty and he himself is going through difficulty. And Acts 16 shows us that Paul is no hypocrite. He knows how to rejoice in the Lord. We covered this several weeks back in our Acts 16 uh, message, but you're probably familiar with the story. I'm gonna read a couple verses from Acts 16 to you. And the multitude rose up together against them and the magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. That's not a good day. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely. By the way, they're putting them in prison so they can try them to kill them. Who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. He tightened them up. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises, what are the next two words? Unto God. By the way, 
Paul and Silas weren't quiet singers. Just throw that out there. The prisoners heard them. They heard them. I'm going to guess, I mean, I, I hope this is the case, that none of you have been stripped down and beaten with rods. Fair enough? Fair assumption? That may not be your trial, but maybe you've felt like you've been stripped of your confidence, of your faith, of your dignity. You feel beat down with doubts and anxiety and self-loathing. Maybe you can relate to Paul a little bit. I picture them. Try and picture this. I mean, Acts 16, it's words on a page. We've got to picture it, right? Here are two grown men who did nothing wrong. They're serving Jesus. They're thrown in a prison, and they're thrust, right? He, it's like he takes him and throws him in there onto the cold, hard ground. They've already got open wounds, and they're probably landing on them. Maybe they, maybe they got beat around a little bit. They got a broken nose. They got a couple broken ribs. There's no doctor. There's no nurse. There's no Paw Patrol Band-Aids in this place. There's no ibuprofen. This is not a good situation. You've been there. You've been, you hit the ground, when you found out someone you loved was struggling, you feel like you've been thrown to the ground when you found out what your adult kid is up to? When your marriage is on the rocks, what do you do in those moments? What did Paul and Silas do? They praised God. Now, just try and picture how this happened. I don't know. This is speculation, Okay. All, I mean, Luke almost understates it. He just says, well, they, they praised God and the prisoners heard them. But I mean, what did that look like? Were they loathing for a little while? I don't know. But at some point, at some point, someone spoke up. Maybe, maybe Paul said, hey, hey, Silas. What? Hey, guess what? What? Hey, Silas. I know this isn't good, but Jesus is still risen from the dead. Our God is on the throne. We're not dead, so we're not done. Jesus is up there in heaven praying for us right now. I think we need to praise him because he, even with all this, he's been good to us and then they start breaking out in praise. And I don't know, I could be wrong, but I'm going to guess at least one of them couldn't sing very good. You know, you gather, a, you, you put 10 men in a room, five of them can't sing on key. I'm going to guess at least one of those two guys can't sing good, but they sang loud enough that the prisoners heard them. Why? Because I think sometimes we forget this. We're afraid to sing loud because we're worried other people will hear us, but we don't care if God hears us. Yeah, he can hear you at all levels, but I think there's some connection between your volume and your spirit, right? I'm not judging nobody. I'm just saying that there is a connection there, right? Your excitement about a sports game generally can be measured by your volume. I'm gonna leave that there. But here they are, they're praising God, not for the what, for the who, who God was. They, they sang praises unto God. If you had asked them, if you had a little jail side interview, what are you guys praising God for? You know what? I don't think they would have been praising him for anything. 
Sometimes we, we think that we need to know how God is using a difficulty to be able to rejoice and look through it. No, 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 you don't need to know how because sometimes you don't. You think Joseph knew how God was using his jail time? No, he had no idea. Nobody could write that story. We rejoice in the Lord and who God is. We're not rejoicing in what maybe we think he's up to. We just rejoice because of who he is. And it doesn't matter where you're at. I believe this. You can do that. Nobody has, has enough bad things going on that they cannot praise God. Even Job did. Even Job refused to curse God. Now, I'll, I'll recognize that this can seem really hard to implement and a little bit unrealistic, but turn to Psalm 13. And here's my, my last thought for you on the topic of praise. During a difficult time, I want you to consider reading a psalm each day and praying those words and thoughts to God. You don't have to use the exact words on the page, okay? Those words and those thoughts give us a template, don't they? Can we just read Psalm 13 and see the realistic look at this man's difficulty? This is a Psalm of David. I think if this happened in a testimony service, we might get a little awkward because we're not used to being this real. He says in Psalm 13, verse one, how long wilt thou forget me, O Lord? Forever? How long wilt thou hide thy face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. He's asking, lighten mine eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest mine enemies say I prevailed against him, and those that trouble me rejoice when I am moved. You, you get to verse four, you're like, wow, this guy's having a bad day. Where's the praise? Well, verse five. I, I'm assuming he wrote this all in one setting. Okay. He says, I have trusted in thy mercy. My heart shall rejoice in thy salvation, not my circumstances. And notice the pivot. It turns from complaint to singing. I will sing unto the Lord because he hath dealt bountifully with me. Whoa. Listen. I'm not sure where the bounty is in verse number one through four. Can you find any bounty in there? Where is the bounty in being forgotten, feeling like God's hiding from you, having sorrow in your heart every day, your enemy is about to beat you. You might just die in verse number four. There's no bounty there, is there? So why do you think the psalmist is saying that God's dealt bountifully with him if in his circumstances there's no bounty? That's an open-ended question. Why is the psalmist saying, you dealt bountifully with me when his circumstances have no bounty? 
Explain. Salvation, Salvation right? To, to some degree, here's how I would say that. He had something bountiful in God himself. The salvation is particularly what he names. So what is he doing? Well, he's looking at the who and not the what. He's looking through his circumstances and not at them. And my exhortation to you and to myself is that there, the, if we, if our praise and our trust in God is dependent on us figuring out what he's up to or us understanding what he's doing, you'll never praise in the way God intends for you to praise. And in reality, if you think deeply about this, you might go home and think about this over lunch. If you need to figure out what God is doing to praise him, you are saying that you can't trust in God's wisdom. That's what you're saying. You're saying, God, I have to figure it out to praise you because apparently you're not smart enough to figure it out for me. Right? It's like when your kid's like, well, dad, why can't I cross the street without holding your hand? Well, because I might know something more about life than you. That's why. But yes, you might get hit by a car and die. That's why you can't. It's the same thing. God, why are you doing this? Well, Sometimes he lets us in on it, or sometimes we have enough to figure it out. But if that's the only time that you'll trust him, that's the only time you'll praise him, you don't ultimately trust God at all. Or you don't, you're not willing to praise him in the way that he wants you to. Here, here's why I want to point you to the Psalms. Because I think we could be caught in a trap where you think we've got to praise God. Oh God, I know you're up to something great. And we don't honestly, we don't honestly believe that. I, I sometimes don't believe that. I'm not really sure what's great about this God, but cool. The psalmist didn't do that in Psalm 13, didn't, did he? Now, maybe in other psalms he does, but in this one particularly, he doesn't. He doesn't say, God, you know, here's why you're hiding your face from me. I, I figured it out. This is why I'm praising you. No. He says, all of that aside, I've trusted in your salvation, and I'll praise you because you've been bountiful to me through your salvation, right, Michael? He's looking at the who. He's looking at the who. He's praising God directly. I wonder what rhythms are in your life to praise God directly. Next time, next time, you're, you're encountering something good, train yourself not just to rejoice about it, but to rejoice in the Lord. God, you gave me that. I'm not just glad it rained. God brought the rain. That's pretty clear in the Bible. Right? Look through, not at. Look at the who, not the what. And you and I can praise. Next week, we'll revisit this more. How do we pray the Psalms? How do we pray the scripture? And why is that a good thing for you to use in your prayer life? What problems could that fix for maybe a prayer life that's stuck in a rut? If, if you, for just, a, just 30 minutes, learn how to pray the scripture, it's much easier than you think. It's not a super spiritual thing. It's just common sense. And I think we, we can spend some time on that and it'll be really fruitful to us. But let's do this this morning. Let's pray. Praise God for who he is. And let's 
sing praises to him together in our service. Father, there is no doubt circumstances represented here that are not beautiful. We look at them, God, and we don't understand them. And God, I'll be honest, there's stuff in my life. Lord, I still don't, I, I don't know why. Um, and that, that's really hard. God, it can make us feel like we're alone and you know, maybe that we've missed something when it comes to your will and your word. Lord, why would you do that? Why would you?